This podcast episode entails a discussion about suicide. If you or someone else you know is experiencing thoughts about self-harm or suicide, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That is 1-800-273-8255. Or you can text 741-741 to reach a trained counselor. Additionally, Cal State East-based Student Health and Counseling Center has a list of resources that anyone can check out. This includes safety plans to allow someone to remember their resources and coping strategies when in a crisis. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to Making Moves, a podcast presented by Skate Like a Girl and the Center for Sport and Social Justice at Cal State University, East Bay. In episode four, we expand our conversation around mental health and chat with therapist Chatina Hunter, professor of kinesiology and sociology, Dr. Mike Reagan, and student researcher, Cecilia Ledesma, led by Kim Woozy from Skate Like a Girl. This is McKenna Duda, your host. I'm a Cal State East Bay alum, former collegiate, now recreational runner, and I just recently earned my bachelor's degree in kinesiology. Here, we'd like to serve our audience by educating and also inspiring y'all to feel empowered through sport, social justice, and skateboarding. All athletes, skateboarders, and fans of sport and social justice are welcome. Let's take a moment to be mindful of our sleep patterns. The CDC recommends that adults 18 to 60 years of age get at least seven hours of sleep. To be conscious of your sleep hygiene, be aware of your caffeine intake, the environment of your bedroom when it is time to lay down, and establish some consistency within your sleep routine. Now ask yourself, how long did you sleep last night? Participating in a sport, your physical body is in use, but so is your mind. They're interconnected. Some positive benefits in choosing to play a sport include improved concentration, regular goal setting and readdressing, plus an acquisition of discipline within a structured setting. It is when there's a disconnect between the body and the mind when sport can reap its consequences. Think about eating disorders and disordered eating poor body image, and lack of confidence. Hence, bridging the gap between physical and mental toughness by not only providing tools to create a fit body, but a fit mind is so important. Let's make sport a positive vessel for implementing a beautiful change within society to support athletes and their mental health alongside their physical health. Hello, everyone. My name is Kim Woozy. I am one of the directors of Skate Like a Girl SF Bay Area, and I am on the advisory board at the Center for Sports and Social Justice at Cal State East Bay here in the Bay Area. And today on our amazing panel, we have Shatina Hunter, Dr. Mike Regan, and Cecilia Ledesma. So I'm going to introduce everyone, and then we'll get to chatting. So Shatina Hunter is a licensed marriage and family therapist and associate professional clinical counselor and part of the counselor faculty at CSU East Bay. She holds a Bachelor of Arts in Human Development, a minor in American Sign Language, and a Master of Arts in Counseling Psychology, and a certificate in Traumatology and Treatment. She is also the creator of Always Live Lovely, whose mission is to provide mental health education and motivation through content, speaking engagements, consultations, workshops, events, and merchandise. Shatina is very passionate about being a guiding light to others, providing encouragement, and strives to reach as many individuals as she can by being her authentic self, showing that therapists are just like you, and therapy therapy can be an amazing experience. Even if you decide to never see a therapist, after one encounter with Shatina, you will leave knowing one new way to care for your mental health. Hi, Shatina. Welcome to our podcast. Hi, so very excited to be here. Thank Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. We really appreciate it. Next up, we have Dr. Mike Regan, who's an adjunct professor in the Department of Sociology at Cal State East Bay. 
Dr. Mike Regan is an interdisciplinary lecturer and scholar serving as an adjunct professor in the Department of Kinesiology and Sociology. His personal and professional experiences illuminated a realization that many social problems exist throughout society. Dr. Mike wanted to use these experiences and his education to highlight and change these social injustices. It seems fitting that the academic context is the best place place to promote change, given this is where many future leaders dwell. Through his primary academic strengths and interests as a researcher and lecturer viewing and analyzing society through a critical social justice lens, Dr. Mike strives to shed light on social issues and inspire others to contribute to social change. Welcome, Dr. Mike. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Appreciate it. All right. And last but not least, we have Cecilia Cecilia Ledesma, who is a student at Cal State East Bay, who is researching mental health. Born and raised in the east side of San Jose, Cecilia is a fourth-year student and majoring in biology and kinesiology. She's a first-generation college student, a Latina with immigrant parents, and a former emergency medical technician. She worked for the 911 system for two years and hopes to become a doctor someday. Welcome, Cecilia. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Very excited. Awesome. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started. Um, I'm going to ask everyone a few questions, and then I got a few questions for the group. Um, So first up, uh, Dr. Mike, would love to know more about this research project that you are in the process of launching at Cal State East Bay and what you all are hoping to accomplish with it. Yes, probably um, appreciate the question. It's probably a bit easier to go backwards and kind of show where it started from. And this is a, as a visiting professor previously, I launched a project at a different university. And one of the main reasons I launched the project was because I started um, understanding a little more through education, but also through media and through other means of reading and resources that mental health issues were on the rise. And you know, looking at depression, for example, as being one of the leading causes of disability or suicide, second leading cause of death in the world and in the U.S. between ages between 15 and 29 for the world and 10 to 34 for the U.S. And I was thinking like, this is huge. So I started digging a little bit deeper and realizing that not only is this happening throughout society, but it's even worse on college campuses and it's rising even quicker on college campuses. And that interests me. And although I was in the Department of Sociology, I thought that perhaps all the things I'm learning about health and all the issues that are prevailing around um, health, not all of them are individually focused and they sometimes, I guess, exist outside of the um, individual. And so I decided to take more of a social psychological perspective and taking a cue, I guess, from the World Health Organization and looking at the way they looked at health. And they basically said there's four aspects of health, which is physical, mental, social, and spiritual well-being. And therefore, in order for me to try to understand mental health a bit more and why it's elevating in some and not in others, or why it's more prevalent in certain races or genders in different groups, I decided to do a holistic survey out there based on some selected surveys that I that are already done in the social psychological community and being able to see does any of this social, physical, and or spiritual health impacts mental health in some way. And after running the data, we're, we're currently in the write-up, Cecilia, uh, for example, is, is helping me out on this and um, doing a lot of research on it and doing a lot of writing on it. But we found that there was significance in all, meaning that the higher your spiritual health levels are, the the better your mental health is. The higher your social support or social health is, the better your mental health is. And then of course, the more physical activity, I used more of a physical activity questionnaire, and the higher your physical activity levels are, the better your physical health is. So when I came to CSU East Bay, this is what brings me here, is that although I started in the write-up process and just kind of writing this up, I started trying to think if this was prevalent here as well. But what sparked it wasn't just to try to compare it. I was actually from our department chair, Dr. Paul Carpenter, sent an email out to faculty about um, graduation rates and on-time graduation and all these other uh, particular things and how we're kind of behind schedule in certain areas. And, And I decided to run two pilot studies. And I wanted to actually see where these different versions of health 
including mental health, related to on-time graduation rates. And the two that I did was social support and on-time graduation rates. And then the next one I did was mental health and social health and seeing if that was related to on-time graduation rates. All of them, whether it was from the previous school and all of the pilot studies here, all significant, meaning that mental health was impacted by all of these variables. And there was an interaction between social health and um, mental health on on-time graduation rates as well here at Cal State East Bay in the pilot study. So we're actually in the process with Cecilia who were in the process of launching that same surveys I did before in that big cluster of questionnaires and adding new questions about graduation and demographic information that pertains more to people at this university and this demographic and being able to rerun the study, which we're going to do in, um, in probably less than 10 days now we're gonna launch. Awesome, that's exciting. Um, Cecilia, I wanna ask you, you know, as a student, uh, who's working on this project, what is your personal relationship to mental health and what has you be excited about this project? So um, thank you for the question. And um, I grew up with a mother um, who suffered with a lot of, you know, uh, mental health issues. She had like severe depression all throughout my life. It's something that she still struggles, you know, to date and also bipolar disorder. And I myself have also have have had my own little struggles here and there. I struggled through like depression and anorexia all throughout high school. And that was pretty tough on me. So, you know, this research on mental health really hits close to home for me. And so as Dr. Mike mentioned, we're trying to get people to see that, you know, trying to get, you know, people to see that the health needs to be looked at in a more holistic manner and not just the physical, but also the mental and the social and how all those interact in order to kind of shape a person. Right. And if we can understand that, then we can find more accurate mechanisms to kind of mitigate those issues that someone may or may not have, especially the student population, which can be quite uh, sensitive because there's like all these extra stress factors and all, and all that. So um, I'm like super excited to be working with this project. Like I said, it's something that's really personal to me. Um, so, you know, this research can also help not only us understand, but other researchers understand uh, and create their own, you know, research on how to help people recognize that they're not alone and this is an increasing issue and, you know, that we shouldn't be ashamed about it and all that. So it's important to dig deep into this stuff because it can be quite complex. Yeah, it's so interesting. Um, thank you for your vulnerability. And also just there is something right about like, so there's this world of academia, but just when there's data and research that's more subjective, uh, there is something like really empowering about it, right? Especially if you're feeling like, oh, this is just a me thing, but then here we are doing, you know, a, a, a report or a survey around the entire student body. And then for folks to get that, like, oh, isn't, it's not just a me thing. Right. And having the data to back that up seems like it can be a very empowering way to transform some of the challenges that, you know, folks are facing in the community. So thank you all for doing that work. And, um, where can students find out about the survey or how can they participate when it is out? It should be out by the time this podcast comes out. But either way, is there any call to action for that? Yeah, we're, we're actually going to use um, BaseSync as a um, as a medium to, to get it out. And I see other, uh, you know, I, I was learning the system. I've been here for a year and a half back at Cal State East Bay. I am a former graduate of uh, Cal State East Bay as well. And then they added BaseSync here since I've been back, right? <laughs> And so we're going to use that. And, and because I'm also part of uh, two different departments, um, I have access to listservs, which is going to cover, you know, uh, close to probably a thousand folks as well. And then we'll continue to follow up, but then we're going to go through basic at least initially. Awesome. Appreciate that. Um, and then one more question for either Mike or Cecilia, like, why do you think it's important for students to actually share their information? Because maybe it feels a little bit, you know, scary or, you know, I don't know, like maybe I don't want to open up myself and, and answer questions about, you know, what I'm thinking or how I'm feeling. But, you know, what, why do you, what would you guys say that like, why is that valuable and important 
I think it's important in that I think sometimes when we're going through stuff, we kind of forget that people can't read minds in a sense. And that sometimes people get so um, good at hiding things and holding things in that they don't, uh, you know, express it very outwardly. And if nobody knows something's going on, then it's really hard to get help, you know? And, you know, so it's really important that students really try to, like you said, like really open up and be vulnerable because at the end of the day, this research is for them. It's so that we can, you know, find ways to help them better and kind of put those numbers out there, put that information out there so that, you know, the entire student body and the university as a whole can kind of see what's going on with their student body. Great. Thank you. Um, and that is the perfect opportunity to switch over to chat with Shatina, who is a counselor on campus. Um, so Shatina, I know, you know, historically there's been maybe stigma or challenges around therapy. Um, and you do a lot of great work to really break down some of those barriers. Can you share with us, like, what are some of the common misconceptions, you know, around therapy, whether it's for students or really anyone listening, um, that, you know are not true <laughs> or that you'd like to dispel yeah so there's so 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 many and I really honestly I want to take a moment to say thank you Kim for the platform and you know Dr. Mike and Cecilia y'all are doing some amazing work um, because clearly as you can see um, there's a lot of components to just your overall health and everything typically works together. Although I feel like, you know, as a society, we're taught that everything is its own thing. Like mental health is its own thing. Physical health is its own thing. Like everything is separate. And that's absolutely not true. So I definitely can say some of the top ones that come to my mind is like, for instance, um, a lot of people will come and think that in one therapy session, they're going to be fixed. Like, it's like we have this magical wand and it's like bippity boppity boop. And we're just going to kind of do our magic and read their minds. And then everything's going to be fine. And only 45, 50 minutes when we've never met the person before. <laughs> so that's one that always tickles me because I'm like, it takes a while to like, you know, learn a person. Yes, there's short term models. Like what we do at East Bay, we do hold it in a short term way um, to where after one session, you people can receive a resolution. But you know, um, a lot of students carry a lot of heavy trauma, a lot of, you know, different diagnoses that they have just in the state of the world that we're in right now. Honestly, there's a lot going on that people have to process. So the reality is, you know, we might just hit the tip of the iceberg in one session and you know just kind of in having that thinking of sometimes it's just the introductory to what therapy can be because a lot of people will think like it's going to be a very scary situation and I mean it can be I'm not going to say that every single interaction everyone has had with a therapist on earth has been the greatest but for the most part you know as long as you have a good fit with the therapist it can be one of the best decisions that you've ever made in your life because it's very relational and helps you get to a comfortable place where you can be able to do like further exploration of things. And it has to be this concept of it's a journey, like it's a marathon. So one session is just one step in the right direction and helping you get to see that, okay, all these different pieces are going to have to work together in order to get you to be well overall. And then I would feel like another one um, that I hear a lot is that people feel like they have to be in crisis in order to come to counseling. So a lot of like being afraid is like, okay, I'm going to go, but oh, 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 I can just handle it. Nothing's really wrong with me. I'm fine. I don't need to go now. Or oh, if I go, people are going to judge me or oh, it's not that bad yet. When really we all need somebody to talk to. There's not a personal earth that's not going through something that hasn't some, hasn't had some type of emotional reaction to something that's happened. And then so being able to know that you do not have to be in crisis, we actually prefer people to come before they get in crisis so that you can learn the skills and not feel like when you're in that deep dark hole you're just down there just wallowing but if you have practice and you have support and you have a couple of skills to learn you'll be able to see some light while you're down there in that hole trying to climb your way out um so that's definitely like a huge huge myth that i want to say is for people to not wait sometimes it's literally just jumping in there jumping in there scared and trying to figure out like what's going to happen on the other side of being uncomfortable um and knowing that it can be very beneficial whether you're in crisis whether you just need somebody to talk to about something simple whether nothing's wrong Therapists do like to hear successes, people. We don't, we don't always feel like we have to hear all the detrimental dark things. Like we love to celebrate with you too. So for any experience anyone is having, we just say, bring it, bring it. And we welcome you with no judgment. And we're there to just sit with you through all of it. 
I love that so much. Something that comes to mind is like kind of drawing the the tie back to like sports or skateboarding. Even it's like, if you're going to perform at a high level, right? Like you're, you know, on one of the sports teams at CSU East Bay, or even for skateboarding, you're, you're pushing yourself, right. To learn new stuff and you're progressing like in skateboarding, it's becoming more popular to like stretch before you start skating and, or maybe stretch when you get home or take a day off and like do some yoga. And before that wasn't a thing, it was just like, just go out and skate and like cross your fingers that your body can manage it. Um, so it kind of think, I think about kind of like the prehab work and just like, if we want to be our best selves, both, you know, on the field, on our boards, in the classroom, in the workplace, in our relationships with our family and our friends and our loved ones, like there's some work to be done. Right. And it can, I love that. Like you really underscored the idea of not waiting until there's a crisis. Cause that's kind of like only going, you know, to do, to see your trainer, to see the coach when your foot is broken. It's like, well, <laughs> what about those strengthening and, you know, uh, conditioning exercises that you could have been doing the whole time. Right. So right. <laughs> that you can avoid that injury. Right. I want to ask a question to the panel to, you know, all of you, you, you can feel free to jump in, but, um, we know that, you know, this past year has been, I am not going to say the word that everyone says unprecedented. I want to use a different word. It's just been unique. Right. Um, so I'm curious, what are some of the challenges that you all have seen either in your work or in your own lives or in your communities that you, that you're seeing kind of across the board? Anyone can go feel free to jump in. Yeah, I'll start it off. Um, um, you asked within like the last year, but we could probably extend it a couple more months. And, and I can say that personal life, um, I had two brothers, um, pass away and one was, uh, through suicide, through the mental health. And the other was drug overdose because of um, mental health issues and end up turning to um, substance abuse and then dying within this short period of time. And um, so right in the midst of the pandemic and right in the midst of, uh, you know, me doing this research and really like passionate about mental health issues that's going on, it's kind of interesting how this all kind of connected. And, and if I really wanted to, you know, and that's personal, but if I extend it out and even go professional, just as last year, I've never seen this many students not only having mental health issues of some sort or dealing with family who are part of that, where they're possibly taking care of them as well, but it was just the trust issue. Like, like just to have this many people trusting you, opening up, reaching out for help. Like I was like, this is powerful like it's been it's a bad experience just to know that a lot of people are going through this but it was a good experience that we were able to talk and be able to meet outside of office hours times to be able to have folks asking where could I go or asking for advice on how to deal with certain things and and being a former you know well, actually I'm still an athlete but not at the college level you know but having college athletes be able to come to you and to be able to say you know, we not know about your past experience as well as an athlete. Um, and now, you, you know, you're willing to open your ear to us now. And it's in being able to share their experiences and how to deal with them as well. And so it's it's been like quite of an experience that um, I've never seen this many people opening, this many people coming out, and this many people trusting and, and being part of this many people's lives has been kind of impactful in my lives with the, my life, especially with the couple of losses that I've had. So I've been able to talk about my losses as well, where we able to have a connection. So it's um, pretty interesting, I thought. I feel that a lot of my, uh, you know, peers have had struggled a lot with the uh, the whole lockdown situation there used to being like these like free birds and then that was kind of taken away from them in a sense for safety reasons and they didn't really take that very well and it did make them you know sad and but at the same time I feel that people kind of with time got very innovative innovative of how to mitigate that with like these zoom calls and like you know, watching Netflix on those, like the party things where you can watch with your friends and all that. And I guess personally for me, as someone who's a bit of a homebody and a hermit crab, I didn't have much of a problem with the, you know, the social distancing and the lockdown. But now that campuses are reopening again, it's like kind of the anxiety and the buildup of like getting out of my comfort zone again and having to like go out in the real world, you know. 
Shatina, is there anything you want to share about what you're, you've been seeing, um, you know, the challenges this past year? Yeah, I'll just add a little bit to, bit to that um, because, you know, I definitely think that this past year has been the perfect storm for people to experience symptoms. Um, some people have kind of uprooted things, you know, for the first time. And some people, you know, things have been there and they just didn't necessarily pay attention to it. But because there were so many different circumstances, people were able to kind of slow down and have to sit with themselves for a little bit longer than our usual hustle and bustle that we're in that keeps us distracted a lot of the times. And so I feel like what people coming more to the surface and like, you know, seeking out help, which is such a beautiful thing, um, I think has really allowed people to um, become more aware, become more mindful and being able to want to name what exactly is going on or trying to look up, like, do I have anxiety? Do I have like, you know, depression? Like, you know, am I grieving? What exactly is going on? Um, and I definitely feel like I can speak a little bit to us coming um, out from under quarantine. And I feel like a lot of people, which is a new emerging thing that I've heard a lot of people talk about, a lot of students talk about this semester, um, is just feeling out of touch with like wondering if they have social anxiety. Um, because so many people feel like, oh, I was so social, or I really liked to talk to people. I really knew how to do this. I knew how to do that. But since we've been on lockdown for a year and we had to get accustomed to like, just, you know, not really hugging people, not being able to walk around without a mask on, not being able to really communicate with people in the ways that we were used to. People are realizing that they've forgotten how to do it or that they have so much fear. They don't even want to do it um, anymore. And they're realizing just a spike in their anxiety just from the thought of having to go out and do it. Um, so I definitely feel like that's been probably one of the number one things um, that I see as like a symptom, a concern, a worry for people um, as we're starting to have to reintegrate back into the world a little bit closer, similar to what it was before. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I even think about, okay, if I got to go somewhere and there's like more than three people, I start to be like, oh, this is crazy. But literally, <laughs> um, I guess since we have you here, what is there anything you can share that would be helpful for folks who are dealing with that kind of anxiety yeah. or social anxiety? Yeah, um, I definitely feel like, first of all, it's okay to be honest. I feel like with yourself in those moments about what it is that's going on um, and being able to know, like, you know, your body is having a natural physical response of like a fight or flight type of response because that's very much associated with anxiety um, to what is occurring. This has been such an anxiety provoking time with so many different things going on. So it only makes sense that people have to reintegrate knowing that we're still technically in the age of COVID. COVID hasn't gone nowhere. COVID has not packed his bags and left. So it's like, you know, having to throw us in there while also this thing is still very much going on. Um, and so being able to tap in and slow down and breathe a lot of us are able to breathe, you know, without needing any type of additional assistance. So being able to use that as an anchor um, and being able to just calm your nervous system down by taking in a deep inhale through your nose and then exhaling slowly out through your mouth. And then sometimes being able to ground yourself because when we get anxious, we start like, you know, sometimes floating a little bit in our head and can feel a little bit out of touch um, or it can lead to panic attacks. So being able to utilize your senses of like touch and smell and taste and what you can hear can help help you just kind of bring yourself back into the present moment, remind yourself of where you are. And if you have to go, or if you have to set boundaries, know that that's okay. I feel like so many people are trying to push themselves super hard because they feel like I should be able to do that. I should be okay. But it's like, if you're not ready, that's totally fine. Like I'm a therapist and I was trying to go get some ice cream from um, cream the other night. And I just didn't know San Jose was popping in the way that it is. And people didn't have all mass and it was young students. And I like, I was fine getting the ice cream. But by the time I walked back out, I freaked out and was like, I have to go to the car because I was just like, I can't even eat the cookie because if I pull my mask on, I might catch COVID. So it's like, it's, it's very real to have just this um, level of fear and it's okay to just be like, I gotta go. Like this is enough knowing your meter, knowing your capacity and knowing like, you know, what you need to take care of yourself as you begin to take baby steps into getting back to a normal, as they say, um, like what we had before. Thank you. That is so helpful. Um, again, I think back to just like athletes and sort of like, like, you know, your body, right. And you know, your limits and there's times where you just gotta say like, I'm done, you know, I gotta, you know, stop my run or for skateboarders. It's like, you kind of know that this is not the moment to try this trick. Like you've been falling, you haven't landed it yet. Like it's time to just be like, okay, I'm going to walk away. So I think that's a very helpful, um, practice to take on from a mental standpoint as well. Um, and oftentimes we're, I don't know, no one says that to us, right. They just say, well, figure it out too bad, you know? So thank you for sharing that. Um, 
I wanted to ask the panel also, what are, you know, uh, you all either work with students and or athletes or kind of have a mix of both. Um, what are some of the negatives that might come from the relationship from sport or activity or movement to mental health? Cause oftentimes we know, like everyone says, exercise is good for you, obviously. Right. That's an age old thing. Like go out, get your adrenaline going, like get the endorphins going that kind of thing. But you know, maybe Dr. Mike and some of your work with student athletes, can you shed some light on maybe some of the, the stigmas that are, um, not so helpful for athletes when they're dealing with mental health challenges? Uh, yeah, good question. This is, um, she's, um, I think the foundation to it is expectations. Um, and when you already, whether you have mental health issues or not, expectations could either exaggerate those things or it can actually lead to them because you're living in this bubble of, of being able to try to please others or to please some kind of expectation that's beyond yourself. And that can lead to that anxiety and that nervousness and, and apprehension and all these other things that, and wondering and worry about if you don't meet those expectations. And, and it's a lot of it is perception, right? It comes from the athlete, but where does that perception come from? It comes from external to the athlete. It comes from, you know, being able to try to keep it real with yourself, but how can you when social media is out, you know, you're on there and it's telling you what you should be doing and you're comparing yourself to others and therefore your expectation becomes something bigger than yourself and then people know what you're doing and then now they're passing judgment or comparing or contrasting you and then now the expectation grows and grows and grows and and therefore we got anxiety, right? And then the anxiety gets worse and then, um, and then it leads to, I guess, what you call that maybe a stigma that ends up coming about because if these expectations get worse and then it causes your mental health disorder to get out of, a line, out of line and there's a stigma related to mental health and athletes is like suck it up and be tough and be strong, then you're not going to go seek help because, first of all, everyone's already put the expectations on you, which they already think you're the, the king or queen of the mountain. But then now you got issues and you're supposed to go reach out, Right. So I think the negative, it, it actually starts, maybe I, I could correct it because I think it starts with the perceptions, but it's the expectations that causes those perceptions, which eventually lead to the anxieties of trying to meet those um, um, expectations. And then all of a sudden, of course, the, um, the stigma is related because now where do you go from there? Yeah. It's either your mental health gets out of line or you seek help and an athlete more likely is not going to go seek that help. And it almost seems like that same idea can be applied to like all students, especially at the university level, the college level, because, you know, uh, in terms of like, you know, the, the CSU East Bay population, it is a lot of first generation, first college, first time, first one in your family. Right. So it's like, you're already on this higher, like, you know, platform of expectations, your family, your friends are like, you made it, you're the smartest, you're the best. And then you're dealing with, uh, you know, all that external stuff. Um, Maybe Cecilia, you can talk a little bit about, you know, um, is that, do you feel, do you, can you relate to that experience and, or, um, is it helpful to know that it's almost like when you're in a, a higher, um, more rigorous, high performing environment, whether it's sports or academics, like it, it almost seems like it, we should be expecting more challenges mentally, physically for sports, but you know, in, in that world. Do you feel like that makes sense, Cecilia, or can you relate to that? Or do you have any thoughts about that? As a it definitely, it definitely does make sense. It definitely is like this uncharted uh, territory. I'm fortunate enough to have a sister who's two years older than me that was, you know, in college when I was. So she kind of had the the worst of it, if that makes sense. And I had like something to go off of. So that definitely helped. But there definitely is like a disconnect from, you know, like my parents didn't go to school, like my father's completely like illiterate. So, you know, they don't, they don't know what college is, you know what I mean? They just have their perceptions that they get from, you know, movies or shows. So there kind of is this disconnect between what they think I'm doing and what they think being a student is, the difficulty of what they think a student is uh, to what actually is happening, right? And, you know, my parents come from, you know, a country that's where, you know, they're used to doing like 
manual labor, not going to school. So for them, you know, me being in an air conditioned room is like automatically like you have no reason to fail. You don't have anything to complain about. You have a roof over your head. We didn't. We went to bed hungry. Therefore, you should be excellent. Right. And that's a lot of pressure to put on a person when, you know, our education system isn't perfect. And, you know, we're human, you know, we make mistakes and, you know, sometimes outside factors kind of can affect a student's performance. And, you know, a student is more than, you know, a GPA too. So that's also something important to keep in mind. And, and you know, I think parents uh, that are, that have uh, first-generation college students kind of often forget that. So I think it's very key to have those conversations and explain because, you know, for me, I can't expect my parents to suddenly have this information, right? This is something that needs to be presented to them. So I've definitely, you know, had to like sit down and kind of explain of like, you know, this is hard work too, right? And yes, we are definitely fortunate enough to be able to go to school. That is like an immense privilege, but, you know, it also comes with its, with its hardships as well. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, it seems like, you know, the three of you are represent different aspects of this ecosystem of this university community, right? Um, of course, there's more roles, but I'm curious, you know, from each of your perspectives, like how important is it for, you know, everyone from staff to faculty to coaches um, to actually have the awareness, right. And the intention of being able to talk about mental health, like, what do you see, you know, like is how important is that? I mean, I know we, it's important, but I'm curious from each of your perspectives, like how important and why does anyone want to jump in? I'll go. Um, I definitely feel like it's pretty top tier, you know, because when we really think about it, even from a very young age, when we start to go to school, we spend the most time like, you know, in these atmospheres with other people, whether it's staff, faculty, admin, our friends, you know, you know, any type of uh, extracurriculum activities that we do and more than we do some time at home when we're in just that period of our life. And then so those people have so much access, you know, to kids as they grow up to teenagers, you know, to you as an adult when you do like, you know, go to college and go to grad school and things of that nature. Um, and because, you know, you spend so much time together, it's important to be able to at least know the signs. And, you know, I, I think it's been really cool um, that, you know, East Bay does have like a care team to where you know, if a student does come to, you know, someone being able to report that to the care team, and then it kind of makes its way, you know, our director is on that. And then, you know, we're able to discuss as a team of counselors to be able to check in with these students, you know, and let them know that the services are there, let them know that, you know, they're not just, you know, on campus, and they've expressed this, and no one really cares, like people are coming together to make sure they feel supported, as well as all these trainings that we do about suicide, helping students in distress, um, as well as being able to help faculty and staff understand when they may experience burnout or like some type of vicarious trauma and so that they can be the best that they can in helping students. Um, and I just feel like, you know, having awareness for self as well as help, having awareness for the people that you're coming into contact with is, you know, um, just most important so that people can have some workable skills to be able to utilize, even if you're an RA that's living in the dorms, being able, we do a lot of trainings with them too, so that people are able to just handle the different situations at hand, because sometimes people are more than likely going to come to a trusted professor, a trusted staff member, a trusted RA, a trusted friend before they're even going to make their way to the student health and counseling center anyway. So it's like, if people at least have a level of awareness, even if you don't necessarily know what to do with what the person is telling you, just knowing you can have a listening ear and an open heart can take things a lot further. They kind of be like, I don't know, let me tell you about my problems instead of truly being authentic and listening. Um, you know, that can just go a long way. And honestly, sometimes potentially save somebody's life. Mike or Cecilia, want to jump in? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I agree. There's, um, I think it comes down to how, uh, how she started the, her answer off with um, about um, students spending most of their time in this area. Right? It's one of our biggest institutions where folks end up creating who they are, right? Schools, right? Their peer groups, their families, the, the, you know, the media, and of course schools, because people are there. And now if you're talking about an athlete, 
not only are they training three times a day, right, with their coaches and with strength coaches and with their actual specialty coaches, and then they're in classrooms with multiple teachers all day, right? It's like they're in all these programs and then their own campus all day and it's all week and all semester that I think that it is very, very, very important for these entities on campus like faculty and staff and coaches to be privy to mental health and what it means. And maybe I'm just talking because, you know, like I had this privilege to be able to do this, the the research and now I understand it. But if I didn't have that, I wouldn't have known. And I think some of this is, that's bad because that means other faculty and other coaches and staff don't understand this. And the go-to is either to be ignorant and then when you finally figure it out, it's too late and now we send them to counseling. But imagine if we were all trained and like the research typically shows is that, uh, what you was just talking about a second ago is about the two things about first having the awareness if we can get that awareness, but also having the awareness of the judgments we have. But you don't get that unless you're training because those judgments come back from our growing up and how we were socialized and how we think. But once you get that, it comes with that education. It comes with, you know, and then it, I guess you get to trickle it down to the people you're dealing with, whether it's the athletes or students, to be able to use the right wording when you're talking to them, to be able to, to make sure you're supporting them and treating them with dignity and respect what the research shows. And, and also giving that more inclusive language and environment where they just feel like, wow, I can open up to them and even if you're not necessarily helping them directly with their mental health issues, you're actually opening up a dimension that they didn't have in that ear, like she was saying, that that's a step because maybe it was the social support that they needed, which my research in Cecilia is, is finding out that social support is significantly finding that it's related to mental health. So, you know, even though those 17 students approached me, they didn't all come to me for advice. They just, most of them just mentioned they had it, but the ones that did come to me, I tried to practice that non-judgmental, that inclusive, that that dignity aspect and giving them, like letting them know that we're on the same page here. There's no power dynamic. Let's just talk, you know? And it's, it's been beautiful. And I just keep thinking to myself, like, imagine if all the coaches and everyone treated their athletes that we still have that competition and all that good stuff that's there and, the, you know, making them stronger, but treated them like they should be treated. So that mental health either doesn't get out of hand or doesn't even surface. Like we can stop it in its tracks. Yeah, absolutely. That is just so inspiring. Y'all are so inspiring. Um, I wanted to end us with one final question uh, on a positive note. Cause you know, this is a, can be potentially a heavy conversation. You know, there's been a lot of challenges this year, but just what's one thing that y'all are excited about just going on right now could be about, you know, inside of the context of East Bay could be just, you know, your work, your research, um, anything at all that you want to share. And I want to start with Cecilia, something you're excited about. Yeah, sure. So, um, not sure if you guys know or not, but East Bay has this, uh, undergrad student research competition. And so I'm planning to do some research on, uh, female esports gamers and kind of the barriers that, you know, in an ingrowing, uh, you know, in a arena of sport that's like ever growing and has traditionally been, you know, gatekeeping women out, you know, kind of do research on that and kind of uh, be able to share the voices of like these like real women that have, you know, knocked down barriers and are trying to do their best and like that are like these amazing esports athletes. And so hopefully, you know, my research can hopefully shed some light on that and, um, you know, voice, you know, these uh, people that have typically been, you know, voiceless. So I'm excited to get started on that project soon. Love it. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited. I know the center for sports and social justice has been exploring that a little bit and just the part that I'm, it's intriguing that I never really thought about before is just the accessibility, right. Esports and the access that, you know, it, it opens up a much wider field for folks, um, that aren't, you know, uh, it's not limited by physical ability. So, um, that's exciting. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Shatina, anything you're excited about? Um, I would definitely just say, 
my business is still very much a baby, like, you know, and it's in its baby format. But I think like, you know, anytime that I do something, whether it's speaking um, or it's a podcast episode um, or it's a post that I had, um, just to hear people tell me about the impact of it is something that, you know, keeps me going. Because I know a lot of times it's a, it's a lot of different people that have, you know, similar businesses. And when something is just in its baby stages, you're like, is anybody listening? Like, is it important? You know, it's important because I mean, it's about mental health, but it's just like, you know, to just hear like that one person that's just like, wow, like you said this, or when I have like a podcast recording with someone, they're like, wow, this felt like therapy to me to just have a conversation with you on this topic. Like that means the world to me. And it lets me know like, yes, you are, you're walking in your purpose. You're doing what it is that you're supposed to do. So honestly, I'm just excited for a time like this to like have that and have that to offer to the world and to see it grow because I know that there's a need for it. And like the whole point of me doing this is because like, I know everybody's not going to go see a therapist. Like, you know, this, the system, you know, makes it to where it's different difficult to even see a therapist and then so trying to be able to create something to where even if you never step foot in the therapy room you can go on YouTube you can go on Instagram you can go on Facebook and you can see something that's going to give you a tip that can probably just make your week go by a little bit smoother that means everything to me so I'm hoping to just like push that out more and it just makes me excited to like connect because of that I get to connect with people like you and like you know we all just get to talk about you know passions and just how important this is so that just makes me really happy. That's awesome. I I could use some Shatina in my ear. Like now because I listen to podcasts when I walk or sometimes when I like I'm doing dishes or cleaning or something. And I just love that so much because, yeah, I might not be able to call you up and, you know, I'm not a student, but just putting your podcast on and listening to it. Um, I think sometimes that changes my entire day, you know, getting getting to to be in a conversation with someone um, and just the value of that. That's amazing. Can't wait to listen to more of your podcast. Thank you. How about you, Dr. Mike, to wrap us up? Something you're excited about? Oh, man. Yeah. Actually, can I, I could say two things, but they're both brief. Um, the first one is uh, in-person uh, classes. Uh, I have four classes I'm teaching in the fall. Two of them are normally online, so they remain. But I had the option of choosing to be in-person or synchronous or asynchronous. And I chose in person because right? my personality and a lot of students that have taken me for multiple classes within the majors um, noticed how different I am online versus uh, in person. And the reason why they retook me was because they met me in person and I have a personality for the classroom and not necessarily online. And um and I, I miss that, that, you know, being able to like be right there next to folks and talking to them and helping them right then and there, like, let's get this over with now, or let's have this conversation interaction at the, you know, instead of these breakout rooms and appointments and things like that. I mean, we have to deal, but it's, uh, but I, I look forward to that. And the second thing is, is um, working more with uh, Cecilia on research. And um, because, and I'm, and this is real, like, this is powerful because, you know, I, I don't know if I tell her this directly, but it's, um, but she like, like she helps me grow like as a, um, as an individual and as a, a um, academic. And every time I talk to her and every time we share our knowledge and like, we're doing stuff and, um, and those are kind of people like you want to be around personally and professionally, like you never want to let these kind of people out of your life because when you can keep growing and then you're helping one another, like what could be better than that? Like you're going in a positive direction, but both of you are doing it. You know, and it's like, so I look forward to that because we're going to go beyond the, the research we're doing now. We're going to keep going. And, um, and I'm looking forward to that as well. Love it. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, something I'll just close with, you know, uh, whether you're in the university community or we oftentimes talk about this in skateboarding and sports as well is that it is very intergenerational, right? And you can find mentors that are older, mentors that are younger. I recommend everyone gets themselves a youth mentor, AKA someone that's younger than you. Um, and just the value of, you know, having someone to talk to, from a non-judgmental space, having someone to listen to or being that for someone else, right? I get so much value out of mentoring others in our organization at Skate Like a Girl. We have very much, you know, a structure for mentoring each other, um, older, younger, everyone from our participants, you know, age five to, you know, our board members. Um, so I hope that for folks listening today, um, you know, you felt a little bit of mentorship today in this conversation. I know you're not here with us live, 
Um, and just to encourage you to reach out to your peers and, you know, your community members. And if there's anything, you know, that was exciting about, you know, some of this research and these fields, um, to definitely, you know, look into it, take some action, reach out to the folks. If you are a student, you know, there's access to the faculty and staff for those listening, if they are interested in, you know, reaching out, what's the best way? Yeah, so as far as um, my work at Cal State East Bay go, um, as Kim stated, I am a counselor faculty member in the Student Health and Counseling Center. Um, a lot of students have probably seen me like in classroom videos or something because I am part of like the outreach team. So I do a lot of videos for YouTube. Um, I do a lot of the trainings with the director. Um, my face is kind of like everywhere trying to teach students about, you know, just different tips and tools, especially while we've been in this pandemic. Um, and, you know, I always say like, come on down and, you know, schedule an appointment with me. I also offer the crisis sessions on there um, outside of my, my nine to five at East Bay, um, I do have my own business, which is Always Live Lovely, which you stated earlier. And that's just my extra space to be able to help people kind of like fill in the gaps um, in regards to offering consultation services. If people need education on what anxiety is, or they need help with finding a therapist because it's really hard right now. Um, being able to have like some career development things, you know, I work with schools and helping them have consultations for their teachers and their admin and staff and parents and, you know, um, just really being able to help even people that's trying to become a therapist, um, be able to have just an extra space to receive support. And then, you know, I also have my own platform. I have a website, www.alwayslivelovely.com. And I have an amazing podcast. So Breaking Barriers and mental health um, um, discussion. That's, you know, where I have different guests come on and we're really talking on topics <laughs> that a lot of people try to skate around. And it's kind of being able to get people to feel comfortable with having the conversation. Because just like, you know, um, I believe it was Cecilia that was saying, like, you know, we got to be able to talk and have people be able to feel comfortable to share what is going on. And it starts with that conversation for people to even know that you need support or for people to even, you know, understand or begin to learn how to support you in the first place. So checking out Breaking Barriers and Mental Health um, discussion on all platforms everywhere. Um, and that's just some, some good free stuff that's out there for you. Thank you. Yeah. I love that you said skate around. That's like, you know, <laughs> don't skate around it. All you over it, jump over it. Uh, no, I appreciate that so much. Um, I think one of the goals of why we decided to do this podcast was that sometimes like, you know, I might not feel ready to talk to someone, but I could listen to someone else talking, especially if they have, you know, some experience, some insight, some expertise. Um, and maybe that can open up some doors to start feeling more comfortable as like listening to others first. Um, so thank you for creating all that amazing content. Thank you all so much, uh, Cecilia, Shatina, Dr. Mike for being here today. Appreciate you. And we'll see you on campus, hopefully. This podcast was brought to you by Skate Like a Girl and the Center for Sport and Social Justice at Cal State University East Bay. It was produced by McKenna Duda, Kim Woozy, and Kristen Ebeling. The music is by Marby Miller. A big thank you to Dr. Matthew Atencio and Dr. Missy Wright for their support.